Hello and welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna Gouldfield. And I'm Amber Zombielli. Zombielli? Zombielli, yes. And this is Spooktember. It's... It, it came early this year, as did all of the decorations in Amber's apartment. Where it's really at? nice in there. It's um at? yeah. So you're looking in my office now. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at your bats. <laughs> I got it's it's, freaking it's, bats. It's banting. It's bat bunting. Bat. Bat. It's batting. Bat. Yeah. Banting. Yeah. And then I've got yeah. I got some lights. Got a little little pumpkin. It's my flare. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in previous years, uh, we've had Spooktober, but that was when we were releasing episodes every week. So now we're having a uh, Spooktember. Well, yeah. And so Spooked. so Anna yeah. is proving, I'm glad that you are demonstrating that you haven't read the script because I'm getting to it in the next You told line. me not to. I told you, yeah, I just told you to, do you see your your stage instructions there? Oh, riff about how Amber already has lights up. Didn't I do that? Yeah, and then you Am kept you kept talking. Yeah, so oh. I am taking My fatal flaw Halloween seriously this year, and I am taking Spooktober seriously. I'm serious about it. So we missed Spooktober 2022 amid some real life elevated horror. I was in my own A24 production. Um, And our 2021 run was all things I'm personally afraid of. Um, And that, in hindsight, was a mistake. Uh, I still have nightmares about being buried alive. Um, this year's theme, however, is a major departure from both of those. And it is minimal bummers is the theme this year. Um, of course, Incredible. of course, this being archaeology and me being me, um, each of this year's Spooktober episodes will still fold in death and explorations of the social conditions that undergird the meanings that people find in what sometimes feels like meaninglessness, but like in a fun way, I don't yeah, know. We're fun. I don't know. I'm losing confidence in my minimal bummers mandate. <laughs> but you know, let's. <laughs> well, let's uh, I'm here for jokes. Let's let's see how this goes. Let's you know we'll try it out. I guess this isn't a start, strong start. Woof. Okay. So as Anna said, though, I have tapped into the holiday spirit early and strongly. And this week, let's tap into a very different sort of spirit. And I see that Anna has looked at the next line. Oh, yeah, you already know it. We're getting in the mood for necromance. Anna, what do you know about necromancy? I really only know about it as it appears in the fantasy genre. And so that includes kind of like D&D necromancy, but then also what is just that? like... I know what Dungeons and Dragons is, but what is it in, in necromancy? It, uh, what is it? Raising the dead or doing magic associated with the dead. Sometimes it's blood magic. I think in general it has to do with raising NPCs like zombies and okay. and ghouls and like and revenants like and stuff. Rev- yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Which is basically how it appears in, in fantasy novels okay, as well. Okay, it's just okay. like, ah, oh, he tampered with the dead. Ugh. Cool, 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 yeah. cool. Okay, yeah. I have to admit, That's all I got. before I started researching this topic, 
I thought I didn't know anything at all. Uh, but it turns out when we consider the etymology and the definition of the word necromancy, um, I know a lot more than I thought. And y'all might too. And actually, there's one thing mm-hmm. I didn't know, and it's what I thought it was, and I was wrong. Uh, so necromancy oh, entered the entered learning. English uh, from the uh, late Latin necromantia itself, a loan word from Koine, so post-classical Greek. Um, and the word was necromantia. So it's a compound of the words necros, meaning deadness or like a dead body, um, and mantea, which is divination, like a mantis, huh. like a praying mantis. That's yeah. It's a little seer, div- looking like a little yeah yeah, um, like the littlest the littlest oracle. Yeah. So in its broadest sense, necromancy refers to any attempt to communicate with or gain knowledge from someone who has died, mm. usually through okay. a summoning ritual. Often the mm. knowledge that you're trying to get is knowledge that you can't get through other means. So things about the right. future, things about secrets um, and other sort of unknown or otherwise oh. unknowable things. The broad definition can include ancestor veneration, something that features prominently in Chinese folk religion, which is a syncretic mm-hmm. religion observed by millions of Han Chinese people, both within the modern state of China and the wider Chinese diaspora. Uh, ancestor veneration is incorporated into many other living and lost religions, and we might mm-hmm. infer that it has existed for more than 10,000 years from the plastered skulls of Jericho, which we talked about about 10,000 years ago. Yeah, we did that one. Um, yeah. But we aren't talking <laughs> we, were we aren't talking about any of that today. We're not talking about ancestor veneration because that is uh, not not germane to what's happening here because we got a lot to, to get through. Um, okay. As I wrote this script, I began to worry that I was the only person ever who always thought that necromancy was like strictly Dr. Frankenstein hours, like rise from the grave kind of stuff. Um, but necromancy seems to be more metaphysical than physical and metaphysical is harder to pin down in the archeological record. Mm. So imagine my reaction when, I don't think you have to because you saw it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, when, I've seen it. When earlier this year, I, a person who thought that necromancy was strictly reanimating corpses and building skeleton armies and stuff, saw the headline, quote, Skull-filled cave near Jerusalem was used for necromancy. Study. End quote. In, a, in my inbox from a listserv. <laughs> I see why you didn't send that one on to me. Yeah. And you, you saved it in your little... Your little secret yeah. pile. And I was like, well, I found the first story for Spooktober uh, <laughs> before I even read it. Um, so that story was published by the Jerusalem Post um, and was eventually updated with a less decisive headline. Um, but Aww. I knew from that moment that I had my first topic of Spooktember. Mm. So join me, Anna, in mm. Teomim Cave. Twins Cave, in the hills mm. outside Jerusalem, where a series of excavations since 2009 CE have begun to paint a very curious picture of what was going on around the 2nd to 4th century CE during the Roman period in the region. So we're dealing with late antiquity is, is this period. So a okay. lot of what we're talking about today is going to fall within that sort of end of the Roman Empire sort of like broad Hellenistic presence in sort of the mid quarter of the first (laughs) millennium um, CE. 
So the end when 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 you aren't talking about that, I will mention. I will like shout okay. out when the time doesn't line up. <sighs> to date, researchers have found more than 120 oil lamps, and so these oil lamps are a very uh, typical shape for sort of greater Canaanite uh, kind of <laughs> material, and so they look sort of like an avocado cut in half. Um, so where the pit would be is an opening for adding oil and like allowing like air exchange. Um, and I do need that. And at the narrow end of the avocado, like where it gets pointy with the, the pointy part would yeah. be another hole, um, through which a wick is inserted and lit. So that's sort of mm-hmm. what these look like. Um, yeah. and so some of them have little handles so you can carry them. So you can be a little Ebenezer Scrooge guy, <laughs> um, which Speaking of. Speaking of, yeah. Um, Mm. And so 120 oil lamps, at least. Um, It's a lot. Weapons, bowls, Mm. and juglets. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It's it's not inherently funny. It's just a cute little I know, I know. It's just a little jug, just a little guy. Uh, Coins and three Mm. human crania. So archaeologists uh, Aitan Klein and Boazisu propose in an article published in the Harvard Theological Review that the presence of the skulls combined with the placement of the lamps wedged into tight spaces in the cave suggests that this cave was a necromantion, a site of necromancy rituals. Quoting from the article, quote, A large assemblage of oil lamps and coins from the late Roman period, as well as pottery and other items from the Byzantine period, was discovered in the main chamber and its ramifications. About 120 well-preserved oil lamps dating to the late Roman and early Byzantine periods, late 2nd to 4th centuries CE, were collected from cavities and crevices in the cave. Cavities and crevices. Uh The lamps had been deliberately deposited in narrow, deep crevices, most of them accessible only by difficult crawling. Oh, no, thank you. We had to use long poles with iron hooks to extricate many of them, and long poles had probably been used to insert them initially. Oh. I wonder how they knew that. The fact that these lamps had been thrust into and buried deep in these hidden, hard-to-reach crevices suggests that illuminating the dark cave was not their sole purpose. End quote. So I am resisting the urge to declare this cave none of my business um, to tell you that it gets more interesting. So, Anna, you said, like, I wonder how they, they, like, you can't, you couldn't get it in any other way. Like, unless okay, this was, so, yes, unless okay. you had like a trained ferret. Uh, yeah. Like stretch Ben Armstrong, like over here. Actually, <laughs> actually, as we'll, as we'll see, that's incorrect. It would be like Gaius Armstrong um, is more likely because it's. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> Happy oh, New Year, Anna. <laughs> oh, Shana Tuva to all who observe. Um, and, and those who don't, deal with it. Sure. Yeah, it's <laughs> cyclical. Um, yeah. So in some of these crevices, um, late Roman or early Byzantine lamps are shoved back there with Bronze Age weapons and juglets. So some being from like intermediate bronze, some being like middle, which not the same, and early, like stuff that is up to more than 2000 years older than the lamps themselves. Um, and, and they are way back there. 
And there's sort of then and the archaeologists were like, there's really no reason why you would put one in a random like way back there place. And then 2000 years later, happen to put a lamp back there. So they seem to be repurposing much older uh, weapons and juglets back there. So when you add in the three craniums, but no other human remains uh, found in these crevices, one deposited along with oil lamps, it start to seems like it starts <laughs> to seem like scientifically speaking, something is up with this cave. Right? Yeah. Right now, I'm sure all of our listeners in the classical world are shouting at their their phones. Oh my gods, Amber, duh, you dumb dumb. This was obviously lampadomancy. Lampadomancy is the practice of observing the flame of a single oil lamp and interpreting its movements through the use of a little boy acting as a medium. Um, well, that's weirdly specific. Evergreen trope there. The creepy, they say a boy, but it like, it's, it'd be like, oh, the spirit is present, you know, kind of. And also I that's know. how you got it. You need a boy to get back yep. there. Little boy, little boy with a stick. So there are several references to this and related practices in the Greek magical papyri, a genre. Mm -hmm. So it's it's not a like a book, it's a genre of ritual mm -hmm. texts and hymns from Hellenistic Egypt written mostly in Greek, but also in local languages like Old Coptic and Demotic. I uh, remember Demotic mm -hmm. was one of the languages on the Rosetta Stone. It's I sort of remember. like everyday, it's like uh, Egyptian vernacular. So like people mm -hmm. weren't speaking in hieroglyphs, like they were, <laughs> they weren't like <laughs> eagle, eagle, squiggle. Yeah, bread. and so this is so it's in the Demotic uh, papyri that we find several examples of lamp divination, um, which might point to it having Egyptian roots. Some people have said that, or it just might point to it being popular among the local Egyptian community. Uh, sure. Um, so I've included a link to the English translation of the Greek magical papyri. But first, Anna, mm -hmm. let's do some experiential learning. <laughs> a note to the listeners in the script, it says brackets, visual gag. All right. Amber's lighting a I candle. I was originally going to be doing this in the dark. Like the plan was to like turn off my lights, but it's daytime now because we had to reschedule. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, let's do Ooh. it. Grab a little boy. Don't. Okay, don't grab it. Well, that flame's going. Yeah, come on. Come on. Start. Start with the, the all right, ritual. All right, all right, all right. I'm, I'm reading. There's just some weird capital letters here, and I don't know what to do with them. You read but them. Sure. Oh, great. Another manner of doing it also is very good for the lamp. You should say, Boel, Boel. You're not saying it right. Okay, do I? Say it how it's written. I-I-I-A-A-A, tat-tat-tat. The first servant of the great god. If we summon something, I quit. Come on. <laughs> he who gives light exceedingly, the companion of the flame, in whose mouth is the flame. He of the flame, which is never extinguished. The god who lives, who never dies. The great god, he who sits in the flame, who is in the midst of the flame. Who is in the lake of heaven, in whose hand is the greatness and might of the god, come into the midst of the flame. Reveal yourself to this youth here today. <laughs> Have him inquire for me concerning everything about which I shall ask him here today, for I shall praise you in heaven before... Pre? Yep. Oh, is this... Yeah, you also yep. got, okay. You also said pre like that the last time you read something. Talking yeah, about pre. Per. Come on. 
I shall praise you before the moon. I shall praise you on earth. I shall praise you. If the light has not come forth, you should have the youth himself speak with his mouth to the lamp. Anything? Okay, so it didn't work. Yeah. Uh, but maybe oh. there's lead in my wick. That could be it. Um, does your uh, does your office smell nice now, though? Yeah. But, okay, so, but we see from this ritual, the idea is to invite the spirit that we're seeking to contact to inhabit the flame itself. And then in being inside that flame, to manipulate it in ways that the medium can translate to the supplicant, like to the person so who's, who's... enter into flame, make flame wiggle. The, and the movements of the flame, and, and it can be interpreted. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's just mm-hmm. another form of divination. There's also, yeah. um, there are also uh, papyri that involve um, having a little bit of oil on the surface of water in a bowl and then having a flame oh, yeah. and then reading mm-hmm. it off of that. And so one of, mm-hmm. like, one of the deposits has a bowl and a lamp back there. And so it possibly... A bowl that's not a skull? or Yeah, a bowl made of ceramic. Okay, well, I was wondering because you know the cranium no, no, is bowl shaped. No, I was wondering if no, that was there's three cranium. That's not part of it. Hundred and twenty okay. lamps, three cranium. Right. Well, some bowls, juglets. In this example, the spirit is actually a deity, um, but elsewhere mm-hmm. in the magical papyri and other sources, lampadomancy can be used to contact the dead. As for the weapons, remember those weapons? Mm. I do. Yeah. So did they. Two thousand years old at that time uh there are magical papyri that call for the use of a dagger in the ritual and sources point to the use of weapons as offerings insurance that other offerings Hmm. make it to their intended recipient so no other spirits come through and kind of nab them um and to protect oneself against the wrong spirits that might pick up the phone um and (laughs) um in that way, uh, and then there's also like you you use it in the ri- you might use it in the ritual. There's one where you're supposed to draw something like in in like soil or sand or whatever, um, using with the tip. Yeah, using the tip of the dagger mm. held in a particular hand, like while doing something. Mm. Yeah, um, but the but the, the the thing about like protecting oneself it's in that way it's Mm. not unlike the advice that people give about ouija boards where once you open that door you can't be too sure about who else might come in through it um yeah we're really hitting some fantasy tropes here as you as you describe these rituals too and like yeah they come from somewhere yeah yeah i was gonna be like well (laughs) no no no, i'm not (laughs) no do not no i'm just saying like oh it's interesting that these are you are dancing quite close to what someone once told me where like game of thrones is historically accurate like who was a classicist and i'm like that's the opposite of what i want to do no i but anna Mm. fortunately as everybody Mm. knows ghosts are scared of swords um Mm -hmm. i know the hellenistic poet lycophron wrote and quite beautifully might i say quote and he shall come to the dark plain of the departed and shall seek the ancient seer of the dead who knows the mating of men and women. He shall pour in a trench warm blood for the souls and brandishing before him his sword to terrify the dead. He shall there hear the thin voice of the ghosts uttered from shadowy lips. Isn't that nice? It's spooky. I like it. Yeah. Mm. As Very for evidence. Yeah, right. As mm. for evidence for the role the three crania might have played. There are examples in the magical papyri of rituals involving the skull of the person whose spirit is the intended interlocutor. 
Klein and Zisu point out that so-called speaking skulls were enough oh. of a... Th- yeah, this... So, Anna, this... Oh. I'm having so much fun. Um, <laughs> they were enough of a thing in the 3rd century CE that Hippolytus of Rome, who was a Christian theologian, took a stab at myth-busting the practice of skull divination, <laughs> saying in his book, Refutation of All Heresies... Ah, what a nerd. <laughs> uh, quote... They place a skull on the ground and make it appear to talk in the following way. <laughs> like a Muppet. It is made of an ox's call. This C-A-U-L, the amniotic membrane, not... <clears throat> that is molded on Tyrrhenian wax and freshly mixed gypsum. When the membrane is spread around it, it has the appearance of a skull. It seems to speak to all when an instrument is operated, the use of which I also related in the case of the boys... Preparing the windpipe of a crane or some other long-necked animal, a fellow jester secretly attaches it to the skull, uttering what he wants. If he wants it to disappear, he surrounds it with a heap of coals and appears to offer incense. The wax, absorbing the heat from the coals, melts, and so the skull is thought to disappear. Yeah. Which, uh, so, consider that heresy refuted. Yeah. But the story that brought us here to this cave... Um, definitely involves real skulls, not late antique spirit Halloween props. <laughs> they really have been around forever. <laughs> In Teomim Cave, there were not there were only three crania, but well over a hundred oil lamps stuck back in crevices and shafts. So skull-assisted divination was clearly not the main attraction, unless, mm. of course, the crania had been removed when the ritual ended, but I don't know anything about anything like that. Mm. Um, but instead, it was just one element of what happened at the local Nekiomantion. That's so interesting. Yeah. So the J-Post article that was shared on my listserv makes a point to say that the rituals weren't performed by the local Jewish population, uh, but it doesn't get into why. Uh, It's because that cave was the site was sort of the stronghold of a um, unsuccessful revolt. And so there were fewer. There were mostly Gentiles in the neighborhood at that point. Ah. Um, and also well, like, but unsurprisingly, someone in the comments, uh, which I read because I have a sickness asked how they could know that since the Tanakh mentions several instances of necromancy. Great point commenter. So the Tanakh is like a initialism of the Tanakh, mm, the Talmud, mm-hmm. the something mm-hmm. and the something else. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. uh, so I knew of one story from the first book of Samuel, um, which um, I really like this story in which Saul, King Saul, goes to Eindor, uh, uh, not the forest moon where the Ewoks live, not the same Endor. Um, and, and so he went the night before a battle to consult a woman whom we only know as the witch of Endor because he's anxious about how it'll go. She summons the spirit of Samuel to tell Saul his fate. Um, after a bit of coaxing, Samuel eventually shows up in a robe and is like, what? And then Saul dies the next day, (laughs) which I just, I think it's like a really, I just, I don't know. I really like it. I Um, have a question. Yes. This is Saul. Isn't Saul the one who became Paul or did it go the other way around? Oh, Anna. So King is okay. Great. All right. This is the old Testament. Uh, Saul was the, Saul was the predecessor to to David. David. Yep. Okay. Um, so Saul, there was a there was me. a Shaul who lived in 
um, who who was in the first the first century CE. Um, he was named like his um, his namesake mm. was was this this Saul this guy okay so Saul became Paul on the road to Damascus mm-hmm. yeah why do you persecute me uh, yeah. Different. Okay, sorry, I got my souls. <laughs> yeah, tangled. so that that story isn't in the Tanakh. Yeah, that makes sense now that I actually <laughs> think about it with my brain yeah, instead no, of. No, that's okay. That's mm, okay. Mm. No, no, this is this is this Shaul and Shmuel. Like that's so. The witch of Endor was actually a Baalat of. If she were a man, she would be a Baal of. So huh. Baal means. Like Lord, yeah. So yeah, so like the the god Baal, it's the Lord. It's and just Lord. meant like yeah. like it's yeah. So, um, so she summoned Samuel's spirit up from an ove or an ob, which is and here is a great term that gets thrown around in the literature like it is a normal thing to say, a ghost pit. Is that where you keep ghosts? You keep ghosts in a ghost pit. Well, it's more like you don't want to get, let the ghost out of the ghost pit. Um, and so this is the point where I wrote a joke that I just stared at for several days and I'm still giggling at it is up late pondering my obe. Uh, were you on the Internet two years ago when this meme came around with this guy who was pondering the orb? This is a photo of a of a wizard pondering an orb. Yeah. And so like we are pondering like the obe. The ob. Okay. Which I guess maybe, I guess since you I thought you were no going to go with like an Obi-Wan Kenobi joke or something, no. but no. no. Okay. Pondering my Ob. All right. So Obes uh, appear throughout the ancient Near East and are referred to in different languages. Like in Sumerian, they are an Ablal. In mm-hmm. Hittite, an Abi. Mm-hmm. In Ugaritic, an Eb. Mm-hmm. In Assyrian, an Abu. But mm-hmm. not an Abu, like dad. Mm. Different Not dad. And in Hebrew, ob. Yeah, I read that. I could um, read that one. <laughs> good. Um, so an <laughs> essay published school. an essay published in 1967 by Harry A. Hoffner Jr. titled ah. Second Millennium Antecedents to the Hebrew Ob mm. synthesized existing historical sources refer- referring to Ob pondering, summarizing their purpose as It is my understanding, says Harry. That the obe was primarily a ritual hole in the ground dug to give infernal deities or spirits of the deceased access to the upper world for a brief interval of time. Officiating at such a pit... (laughs) No, I can't. I'm officiating at a pit later. Would be a woman, or on occasions perhaps also a man, called the Baalat Ob, or possessor of... Baalat Ha'ov. Ha... Okay, there's not a... That's an absolute construction. No, there isn't. Baalat. Ob. It's just ob. Okay. Fine. You're right. Thank you. (laughs) I can't read Hebrew. I mean, it takes me even longer to read Hebrew than it takes you to read Hebrew. Uh, Anyway, Baalat. She. She is the possessor of a pit. She would be visited at night, and under the proper conditions, she would unseal such a pit and elicit the spirits from it, perhaps using food offerings of the type employed in the Greek and Hittite sources. I can also be coaxed from a pit uh, with an offering of food. Get you out of your obe. (laughs) 
When the interview was completed, she would reseal the pit with loose soil, sacrificial loaves, or even a cloth. This would keep the spirits from gaining unsupervised access again to the upper world until she had occasion to visit the spot again with a client. In time, the name, which at first designated only the pit itself, came to be applied to the spirits which issued from it. Just as in the Hittite texts, we see that a deity exists with the name Abi, and that the determinative for deity is sometimes written even when no personal deity is in view. Do you see Thus, that? That's, that's it. That's it. So do you see no. there where it, the little D behind Abi? Mm. That's Dinger. Dinger. Dinger Abi? God. Yeah. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, so if it were just an Ab, like if it were just Ab in uh-huh. Hittite, you'd be like, okay, that's a hole. That's a ritual hole. hole. And then if it was Dinger Ab, so it's like the god. The god of, hole? So that's, you remember like Dinger Id, like the, the river Id, when we did the river ordeal? Extremely vaguely. Okay, well that's like the river, the god that is river. Yes, so this um, is the god that is whole? Mm. Yes. Um, so so that's one way to contact the dead, by drawing them up out of your local ghost pit. Make sure um, you put the bread in when you're done. And put and put the lid back on. <laughs> so you, you don't let the ghosts out. Mm. But as I kept reading, I learned that skull divination, mm-hmm. craniomancy, is referred to explicitly and with great ambivalence in the Babylonian <laughs> Talmud. And so oh. the Babylonian Talmud was compiled in late antiquity between the 3rd and 6th centuries CE in Mesopotamia. Well, so in Emanuela's Gripeu's article, Talking Heads, Necromancy <laughs> in Jewish and Christian Accounts from Mesopotamia and Beyond, a specific passage is quoted, which helpfully distinguishes pondering the obe from consulting a skull. Consulting. That passage Stop reads... It. No, no. We need to let that breathe for a second. Consulting. Okay, thank you. That passage reads, quote, Our rabbis taught... Baal Ob denotes both him who conjures up the dead by means of soothsaying and one who consults a skull. What is the difference between them? The dead conjured up by soothsaying does not ascend naturally, but feet first, nor on the Sabbath, whilst if consulted by its skull, it ascends naturally and on the Sabbath too. Oh. Huh. You say it ascends, but whither does not the skull lie before him? But say thus, it answers naturally and on the Sabbath too. So if you want the spirit to have sort of a more comfortable ride you do no no, no. Do that's not skull? that's not how that's not how so you've got oh. there's two ways so the ball right the ball the ball ob is doing mm-hmm. the pit um he's talking to ghosts either okay. mm-hmm. you can um if you ha- if you have the option available to you as mm-hmm. well and we'll find out how that might be um mm-hmm. and you could talk to a skull that happens naturally it does you don't need to like work at it uh where and and since it's something that happens naturally it happens on the sabbath but it can happen on the sabbath okay but if he if the ball of needs to summon a spirit out of an ove um so it sounds like you like grab them by the ankles and like pull the pull their spirit out so they aren't with the skull you have the head like you have like a conduit for the spirit okay so All right. 
I'm going to read the next line here. <laughs> Am I According prophetic? to Gripeu, uh, it answers naturally because the, sp- the spirit is still inside the skull hmm. and doesn't have to hoof it all the way up from Gehenna. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so, uh, Anna, please read this quote from uh, Gripeu's article. Sure. You don't have to read the citation of which Talmudic passage. Thank you, because uh, hmm. another Talmudic passage implies that the dead soul still hovers around the body for a certain period of time. The, the Talmudic passage is. Yes. <laughs> a certain sadu- Sadduc- Sadducee? 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 Sure. Sadducee? Sadducee said to Rabbi Abahu, you maintain that the souls of the righteous are hidden under the throne of glory. Then how did the one practicing necromancer bring up Samuel by means of his necromancy or her necromancy? Yeah, right. Necromance her. There it was within 12 months of death, he replied, for it was taught for full 12 months. The body is in existence and the soul ascends and descends. After 12 months, the body ceases to exist. Um, and, and Talmudic passage. According to this source, necromancy is possible within 12 months after death of any deceased person, violently slain or not. Furthermore, we also encounter in the same Talmudic tractate two divergent opinions about the time period and the conditions required for the soul to linger between this world and the hereafter. More specifically, the discussion addressed the issue whether the soul was still around until the sealing of the grave or until the decomposition of the flesh. The latter opinion assumed that the preservation of the flesh would ensure the longer presence of the dead spirit. This sounds very Egyptian. Um, Rab Judah assembled ten men every day, and they sat in his place. After seven days, the dead man appeared to him in a dream and said to him, Thy mind be at rest, for thou hast set my mind at rest. Rabbi Abahu said, The dead man knows all that's said in his presence until the top stone closes the grave. Uh, Rabbi Hia and Rabbi Simeon ben Rabbi differ therein. One maintains until the flesh rots away because it is written, but his flesh upon him hath pain and his soul within, nope, and his soul with him mourneth. He who says until the top stone closes the grave because it is written and the dust return to the earth as it was and the spirit return unto God. Since we're already in Babylonia... Let's take mm. a quick detour to see oh. what's up with Mesopotamians. And for that, we got to give it to the goat, Irving Fenkel. Mm. So I've included a link to a how to perform <laughs> necromancy with Irving Fenkel video on the British Museum's YouTube channel, which like also... Get daddy with me. <laughs> no? No. <laughs> um, but for now, let's talk about his translation of a tablet from Babylon... Babylon proper. Um, that explains how to do some consulting. Unfortunately, the first <laughs> column is pretty damaged, no so kidding. we gotta have to mumble through it. You take roaming. He should grind up lentil flour before the obstar, the brick, the claw of the table. You set up a censer with juniper, juniper in sulfur. You recite this. Um, you recite this incantation oh oh it's (laughs) off the page i didn't see it you oh yeah you recite this incantation as follows dust of the underworld may he bring up a ghost from the darkness for me may he put life back question mark into the dead man's limbs 
I call upon you, O skull of skulls. May he who is within the skull answer me. Um, okay, so if you don't want to go through the, the trouble of calling Shamash, which are like typical millennials, scared of phones, first millennials BCE, hey. uh, but you want to see a ghost, there is a ritual for that too. Oh, great. There are two copies of that text. One on the tablet from Babylon that Anna just uh, tried to read, was there at <laughs> I, least. I tried so um, hard. Well, I mean, <laughs> you read everything that was there to read. Um <laughs> And then there's a duplicate uh, from the Library of Ashurbanipal, uh, and that's also at the British Museum. Um, but between the two, between the the text um, at the Library of Ashurbanipal and this and the remainder of that tablet, um, the text is complete. So mm. Anna, bust mm. me a ghost. Um, I have a question before I do that. So this is this is a duplicate. Is it known to be a duplicate just because so much of the the words overlap? Like that, it's yeah. The same? And that, this okay. is normal. Like this, a li- you know, it's a library. They have a copy yeah, yeah. of that book there. But yeah, there's enough of enough enough of overlap mm. that it's like this is the same text. Okay, okay. Quote: An incantation to enable a man to see a ghost. Take notes, everyone. It's ritual. You crush moldy wood, fresh leaves of Euphrates poplar in water, oil, beer, and wine. You dry, crush, and sieve snake tallow, lion tallow, crab tallow, white honey, a frog that lives among the pebbles, hair of a dog, hair of a cat, hair of a fox, bristle of a chameleon, and bristle of a red lizard, claw of a frog, the end of intestines of a frog. Which end? The it's a left frog wing- rectum. All right. The marrow. <laughs> Sorry, the left wing of a grasshopper and marrow from the long bone of a goose. You mix all this in wine, water, and milk with amhara plant. You recite the incantation three times, and you anoint your eyes with it, with the goop, and you will see the ghost. He will speak with you. You can look at the ghost. He will talk with you. However, if things go sideways, you will need to get the big guy involved. Um, so the tablet con- tablet continues. Okay, so you've you've mushed up all the animal bits. You've got the goop so you on are your seeing eyes. a ghost. You are talking you a to ghost. a ghost, and you were like, "It's starting to go bad." Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! I miss. I, I, I misapprehended the situation. And now I have a ghost in my house. <laughs> in order to avert the evil inherent in a ghost's cry, you crush a potsherd from a ruined tell in water. He should sprinkle the house with this water. For three days, he should make offerings to the family ghosts. Now, just so you know, they, it just changes. Uh, like it goes from the, the like, person like, who is. It goes from second person to third person. Yeah. These aren't instructions. You don't have to convince the ghost to sprinkle the house with water. <laughs> like, no, just, you just the, clarifying. The, you, the, the person who did the whoopsie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he should pour out beer flavored with roast barley. He should scatter juniper over a censer before Shamash, pour out prime beer, or <laughs> offer a present to Shamash, and recite as follows. O Shamash, judge of heaven and underworld, foremost one of the Anunnaki. Oh, no. O Shamash, judge of all the lands, Shamash, foremost and resplendent one. Also, you, so the Anunnaki, they're just like the the dudes that hang out in the underworld. So like he, it's like, come get your boys to come get help. my boy who help. is in my house. 
You keep them in check. Oh, Shamash, the judge, you carry those from above down to below, those from below up to above. The ghost who has cried out in my house, whether of my father or mother, whether my brother or sister, whether a forgotten son of someone, whether a vagrant ghost who has no one to care for it. An offering has been made for him. Water has been poured out for him. May the evil in his cry go away behind him. Let the evil in his evil cry not come near me. Uh, you do this repeatedly for three days. Uh, you wash mm. his his hands. You wash his hands. I think he washes talking, his hands. I think. I think. So we are talking about the. At this point, we are talking about the Etemu, mm-hmm. um, who is Who's that? Uh, that is the figure. So the, I think it's like a cultic figure. Ah, so okay. you're like you're doing. It's so like you've got a an object sympathetic now. Okay. kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you take the little guy. You wash his hands and you anoint him with something. Usikil. Usikil. And then... Oh, there's more. It is finished in oil. If a ghost cries out in a man's house, there will be a death in the man's house. If an evil apparition comes up in a man's house in order to avert that evil from the man and his house. Uh, In the evening, he makes an offering to Shamash. In the morning, at a secluded place by the gate, he sweeps the ground, sprinkles with pure water on the reed altar, twice three food offerings. Does that mean six? Twice three? No, you have three food offerings, and you do it twice. Oh, uh, your side, starter, your main, and your... Starter, main, it. and dessert. Got it, got it. Here's another one. It's restaurant week in Mesopotamia. He places uh, something. He pours out dates, shaske flour confections shasku, yeah. shasku flour confections of honey and ghee mm. um there's some pouring of beer the rest mm-hmm. is pretty fragmentary yeah and the remainder is missing yeah um so hopefully no evil apparitions come up because we don't know what to do with them from this point on Feed um, them? But, but well no but this you gotta and then you gotta be like get go on um, but um, there you have it, folks. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. And so huh. it all started with an irresponsible headline. So so that's so there you have it, everybody. Um, you know, some news you can use as the as the veil is thinning. Maybe you wanna you just wanna find a boy and be like, yeah. what's that flame doing? Have a chat or uh pour one out. For any lingering ghosts who might... Uh, yeah, pour one out for the forgotten son of someone. Or daughter. Well, I was just quoting. Yeah. I was quoting the passage. Mm-hmm. You can put a T at the end of it. It could be a lady. That's fine. Yeah. Great. Uh, that's well, what I got. <laughs> well, I feel revivified. Um, thank feel you. Feel reanimated? Yeah. Oh, man, I really... I needed that today. Yeah, no, this Uh, was... See? This was... Minimal bummers. (laughs) I... Wow. A a spooky season with minimal bummers is going to be really great. And I'm looking forward to the next installment, which, listeners, will be with you in a couple weeks. In two weeks. Ooh. Boo weeks. (laughs) Boo weeks. (laughs) And until then, uh, thanks for listening. You can find us on social media as usual. And uh, 
we'll be coming to you soon with some uh, yeah. deets on sponsorship and all that good stuff. Yeah. And uh, until until then, keep that thing on you. That thing being a Bronze Age dagger to scare off ghosts. Mm-hmm. Ghosts, they're scared of swords. Bye. Bye. Bye.